Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, baseball's brightest fans, to another edition of the Baseball America podcast. I'm John Manuel, along with Matt Eddy. Matt and I are going to start you off with a – first, I had to give you a little old Alan Matthews podcast intro there. I miss our old podcast intro. Back when we claimed we were just going to do 15 minutes. With that goth guitar riff and then Alan Matthews coming in. It was a goth guitar riff by awesome. uh, my, my old uh, college uh, buddy's uh, band, Psychosonic Cindy, which no longer exists. But I still have that CD, and we still have the rights to it. So we're free to use it on future podcast intros. But a uh, fun week at Baseball America. We're all in the midst of our league top 20 prospects list. Those start going online next week. Uh, Matt Eddy, you're the only person in the office, I think, doing two. Uh, I'm wrapping up the International League. You have the Appalachian League and the Eastern League for the first time. Mm-hmm. So my old uh, my old stomping grounds in the Eastern League. Uh, we got to see the AAA National Championship game this week. We're also drying out from that here in Durham. A very wet day and night uh, for the AAA National Championship. And we're going to talk Major League Awards since that's all that's burning up Twitter. Mm-hmm. And we're going to give our two cents as well, especially American League MVP, National League MVP, and, and the All-Star, I mean, and the Cy Young Awards. Of course, at Baseball America, we only give one award. We give a Major League Player of the Year. We might save that discussion for later. And Matt and I are just two of the panoply of Baseball America experts who factor into that decision. But, but let's start off, Matt. We, we had the AAA National Championship in our midst. Um, the weather was horrendous due to the horrible weather. And uh, I had a family commitment. I, I went the day before to the workout, did not actually go to the game. We both watched the game on TV on NBC Sports uh, Network. Not the greatest showcase for AAA baseball when you had the bad weather in a game that was 8-1 to in the third inning. Um, but more to the point, uh, we had a prospect on the mound that we all wanted to see. A great contrast with Nelson Figueroa, the 38-year-old, and Trevor Bauer, the 22-year-old, for the Diamondbacks uh, AAA Reno Club. And even though Reno had this big lead, Trevor Bauer, what, he walked seven and four and two-thirds innings? Couldn't get out of the fifth inning? Yeah, four and two-thirds, seven walks, four hits, six strikeouts. Um, and not an impressive showing. I think he bumped 92 on the Baseball America radar gun that mm-hmm. Nathan Rohde had. Uh, Jim Schoener, the BA, was there and was tweeting the whole game, and I don't think I saw him tweet more than 92. What was your take on Bauer? That was the first time that you'd watched Trevor Bauer pitch, correct? Yeah, the uh, the velocity reading you mentioned, you know, I guess – I expect it a little higher, but that's you know not the main reason he's become a prospect. Um, right, it helps, but it's not the main reason yet. Yeah, he tended, uh, you know, and Jim Cott made reference to this on the broadcast many times that he likes to pitch backward and then surprise batters with a fastball later in the count, maybe when he's behind, which he right. which he typically was. Right. In this game, and that that style of pitching reminded me personally of watching uh, Daisuke Matsuzaka. That's just not something any Diamondbacks fan wants to hear. No, <laughs> I don't think any prospect watcher wants to hear your pitcher, uh, a pitcher that you are interested in, compared to Daisuke. But that really rings true to me. Yeah, and, and he recorded, you know, all of his strikeouts were sing, uh, swinging strikeouts. That tells you that batters are not, you know, squaring up the ball. Uh, but the most troubling aspect, and this is just one game, is that in consecutive innings he walked the eight and nine hitters on, yeah, on something the, like, you know, twenty pitches. Well, he walked Bryce Brent who's not a guy known for drawing a ton of Dan Butler, the catcher, and he walked Jonathan He. Yeah, in the third, yeah, he walked He and Chase on Lynn, and then he did it again in the fourth, and then in the fifth he walked uh, Brents and Dan Butler, the catcher, back-to-back. That's just Really not, strange. And especially, the, to me, the most troubling ones there are with the, with the big lead mm-hmm. and trying to finish out that fifth inning just to get a win. You're up near 100 pitches anyway. General manager Kevin Towers in the stands watching. Mm-hmm. You're in a you know, there. Are, there is money on the table if you want to put it that way. There's a championship on the line. Uh, Trevor Bauer pitched the clincher last year in the AA Southern League for Mobile, and he couldn't get out of that inning. And part of that, I think, you can owe to fatigue. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he, he, close to 150 innings, if not over that, for the year. Uh, he's a little guy. Uh, he's not a he's not a small guy, but he's just not he's not big and strapping. I wouldn't say that about his former UCLA cohort. Garrett Cole, but mm-hmm. Trevor Bauer is not over. He's, he's an average size pitcher, I guess I'd say, not overly physical. Uh, the day before, he was out there at the workout throwing a full bullpen. I talked to his catcher Ryan Buddy 
uh, re, re, uh, made some acquaintances. I, I, I met Ryan Buddy in spring training back in 2004 and watched the Oklahoma State-Arizona State game with him and some other college baseball players who had just gone to pro ball at that time and just was kind of joking around with Ryan Buddy. And he said, yeah, I've never seen anybody throw a full bullpen day before a game like that hmm. guy does. So, And we wondered about whether that workload cumulative, cumulatively – how that would affect Trevor Bauer. It seemed like it affected his velocity. His velocity was down this last start. But more troubling, I think, like you said, Matt, is the style that he really was just trying to trick hitters as mm-hmm. opposed and to like, like you mentioned them. with the huge lead, you know? Right. It's with a big lead like that, pitch. I mean, I don't want to sound like a Jack Morris Hall of Fame voter, but pitch, <laughs> to, the, pitch to the score already, you know? And it was a, it was a contrast in styles between Bauer and uh, Figueroa. You know, Figueroa was getting hammered in the first two innings. Right. And he's very calm and collected, but you could tell uh, from TV angles how how flustered Bauer was getting. You know. Yeah, and Jim Schoner and Nathan uh, and Connor, all of whom were at the game for BA, as well as uh, now former intern Andrew Krause, also the same thing. They also that his de- his demeanor was uh, on the mound was that uh, I mean uh, I would say short of petulant, but a little pouty. Mm-hmm. And post game, uh, Andrew interviewed him post game and was disappointed by his post game interview that. He was unhappy about having been having been taken out. He's pretty much the only guy in the clubhouse who wasn't celebrating the championship, hmm. and that really struck Andrew. Um, you know, Andrew's not some veteran, but it really struck him that, uh, that Trevor Bauer wasn't, you know, spraying everybody else with champagne. It was a little bit focused on his own uh, poor performance. So, uh, you know, he's 22 years old and it's his first full professional season. You have time to grow out of that, but and he, th- those aren't positives. And he might, and, you know, if you listen to him, he might not have been right all season. It seems like he strained his groin early. Yeah. That was certainly a factor in the big leagues. Uh, it might have been a factor, you know, two nights ago and in the minors. And I think you have to credit him for grinding through a full season and having a very effective season. His walk rate was lower in AAA than it was in AA. Uh, you know, he did pitch for He pitched well in the playoffs previously, although he did have a lot of walks. Mm-hmm. I think he ended up having 17 walks and 16 playoff innings adding this game in. So, hmm. you know, he just – and that's one thing that when you have a very – when you talk to scouts about Trevor Bauer, Matt, one of the questions that has come up is, is he athletic enough and physical enough to maintain that delivery, which is a complicated delivery, a high-maintenance delivery, we'll put it that way. Is he physical enough and athletic enough to maintain that over the course of 160 innings, 200 innings, and and do that with all those pitches and throw strikes? And right now the verdict is maybe not. And I think that's that goes back to, again, the, the trickeration, to use the football term, that he doesn't <laughs> pitch enough. And it's just something very simple. He doesn't pitch, he didn't really pitch off the fastball in fastball counts, you were saying, right? Yeah, and Pawtucket batters just took it. I mean, they identified it early and just usually took it because it, it was often high in the zone. Uh, the fastball? The you fastball, mean? yeah. I love Trevor Bauer. I really want Trevor Bauer to succeed. But he's going to have to make adjustments, it sounds like, going forward. What, what do we think in general, Matt, the uh, – about the AAA National Championship. I think a couple of years ago, it's going to be hard for the AAA National Championship to do a, a lot better than it did the one year. I guess it was 09, and this sounds provincial, but when the Durham Bulls won it, um, and I do some work for the Durham Bulls, I guess full disclosure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was really cool because you had Jaime Garcia and Jeremy Hellickson as the starters in that game, yep. Memphis against Durham, and Desmond Jennings scored the game-winning run. So you didn't just have – there were two good AAA teams with, with minor league veterans – I think Alan Craig might have been on that 2009 mm-hmm. Memphis team. But you had prospect pitchers. You had prospect players. That was that was a version of here's how good this event can be. That was the high watermark. I think the, most of the rest of them have been blowouts. You know, Columbus blew up Tacoma a few years ago. Joe Martinez leading the way on the mound. Yeah, the average margin of victory is probably close to four or five runs. It's not a great uh, – and, and it's hard to say that it represents AAA baseball when so many of the players – who are on AAA rosters all year get called up in September. That's the big knock against it. I mean, that's also the knock against the minor league playoffs, AAA playoffs in, in, in general. Right. But, you know, and it's also such a foreign concept to baseball to have a one-game, sudden-death, winner-take-all format. Correct. Although we're going to see that this year in Major League Baseball. So. I guess so, yeah, with the wild cards. <laughs> Maybe it won't be as, as foreign anymore after that. But it is. it, it seems a little fish-out-of-watery, you know, for AAA baseball to do that. Would you want to see a resumption of the AAA World Series, the Junior World Series? You know, that's a great question. Listening to the interviews conducted during the game, both presidents seem to indicate that they 
combined AAA into two leagues in order to facilitate this league right. versus league finals. And these are and the two presidents the, who did it. That was 15 years ago. Yeah. But Branch Rickey has been with the PCL since 19, before 1998 when the leagues merged uh, from three to two. And Randy Mobley was in charge of the International League at that time. And then you really have to ask yourself, is it worth it to have this screwy PCL schedule where you have a team in New Orleans and a team in Tacoma, you know, it's to, play, to play this one-game playoff? And also that's the, just my opinion. And also the All-Star game. That's the other thing that, okay. that comes from this. That's I think point. you had a AAA All-Star game before with the three teams, with the three leagues, but that would be a little bit more convoluted. I think you had American League versus National League affiliates right. at that time. Now you have PCL versus IL. Mm-hmm. So there's that's the only other benefit I can see, but... Uh, I'm with you. Let's go to independent baseball. Take the American Association name back <laughs> and go back to three, uh, how about three ten-team AAA leagues. Right. This is about development. That would seem to make more sense from a development standpoint to have more sensical travel. And if you're going to have one crazy offensive league, just have one. That came up this week. Uh, you know, uh, you, you, you do our Mets top 30. I'm sure you saw this where uh, our correspondent, Andy McCullough, the star ledger, talk to guys like Mike Baxter and other current Mets who played in the Pacific Coast League, and the pitcher was like, uh, Jeremy Hefner was like, the PCL almost ruined my, my career. And Mike <laughs> Baxter was like, I loved hitting in the PCL. How the Mets go back to Las Vegas. I mean, I, that can't be good for an organization to have to go change your AAA affiliate from, the, from Buffalo to Las Vegas, can it? It's going to be interesting. The Blue Jays certainly suffered with it when they did the same thing. They went from Syracuse to Vegas. Yeah, I don't think it's good for development, so... So I guess we're going to put ourselves both down for a no on AAA National Championship game. A grudging no. If anyone would like it, you would think it would be us. Yeah, I think it just all comes down to money. I think the bottom line is it makes the National Association money. I believe I believe that's probably correct. Well, it's a Baseball America podcast with John and Matt. And uh, the other part that we wanted to get to in this podcast, uh, let's talk a little Major League Awards, uh, Matt. It's uh, been a week of controversy in the Twitterverse <laughs> about Major League Awards. Um, I suppose we can start off with the one that generated the most controversy. You have Miguel Cabrera rallying, uh, making a big run in September at this, uh, you know, the trip, uh, a triple crown. No American League triple crown since 1967. I guess when was the last National League triple crown? Don't they often cite uh, Joe Medwick from 1944? I think he was 37 when he 37. did it. 37. So did Frank Robinson do it, or was that the American League? He did it in the American League. I think League. it was 1966. So he had back-to-back in the American League. But you haven't had one in the National League in quite some time. For some reason, I was thinking Bill Terry, but that's the last World National War League. Yeah, <laughs> and I, that's right. That's a long time ago. Um, does Miguel Cabrera winning the Triple Crown add anything to his MVP case com- compared to Mike Trout? Or uh, where do you where do you stand on those two guys? We have a, we have our slugger. We have a parallel in the National League. We have a, a slugger and an up the middle offensive factor in Mike Trout and the slugger Cabrera. Uh, which 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 uh, side do you fall on there? I think I would take the side of of Trout, um, just for his uh, season accomplishments, his his value as a center fielder and as a uh, you know one of the best base runners in the league. But I think the focus really should be on his bat, which is uh, certainly elite. You know, looking at uh, you know, I just pulled this up beforehand. Uh, baseball Reference uh, batting runs wins above replacement. Uh, Mike Trout has the uh, second highest total in the expansion era among uh, 20-year-old players. That's pretty amazing. He trials only Alex Rodriguez from 1996. So, which is you know if you're if you're getting compared to A Rod in anything uh, positive, <laughs> you know as long as it's not arrogance or uh, steroids <laughs> or centaurs. Uh, that's, that's <laughs> oh man, I didn't think about that <laughs> one. Uh, we have to bring Jim Callison for this conversation to talk about A Rod's paramours. Um, but yeah, I mean, Trout season is—it is more rare. Even mm-hmm. if it, even if Miguel Cabrera has a hit for the triple crown or wins the triple crown, it still seems like Trout season is the more unique season, just because of his age, but also just because of how all around it is. To me, the the issue—it's almost like I'm surprised there's controversy here, Matt, because their offensive seasons are very comparable, and one player is a demonstrably good defensive player, and the other one. While he did sort of, I guess you could spin it, that he was sort of selfless in playing third base, the other guy's part of the problem defensively in Detroit. You know, he's a terrible defender at third base now, and I think Miguel Cabrera is the best hitter in baseball. Pure hitter, power hitter, hitter. I just think he's the best hitter in baseball, mm-hmm. but probably, you know, on the planet. But I, I don't see how you could say he's had a better season than Trout if you're saying most valuable player. 
because defense fa- and, and base running factor into that, and, and Trout clearly has a, I would say, a significant advantage over him in those two aspects of the game. Yeah, he's gonna. He has a shot to be the first 30-50 player ever. I mean, I don't. I don't think you need any advanced metrics to make that determination either. I, I think old-fashioned, you know, old-fashioned stats. You know, you you don't need Bill James to to tell you that Mike Trout's the more valuable player, and neither team is running away with a playoff spot here. In fact, both teams might m- miss the playoffs. So to me, that doesn't really uh, inform. Even if you want to use a more traditional way of viewing the most valuable player award. I, I happen to think that winning does is a factor. I just think it's a secondary or tertiary factor, not a primary factor. Uh, even if you want to use that, I think their teams are pretty pretty similar. They're both disappointments, and they both have underperformed. And you know, t- Detroit has been consistently m- mediocre, and the Angels basically blew a playoff spot in April by getting off to a horrible start. And, and actually, that almost burnishes Trout's case because as soon as he got there, they've been better than everybody else in the American League. But they they lost a playoff spot in April, so I, I'm I'm on the side of Mike Trout. Is there anybody else who even merits discussion in the American League MVP race for you? In the American League, yeah. Who who do you bring to the table there? Because who was Trout's main competitor prior to Cabrera's uh, September? I, I you know I guess at one point it would have been Josh Hamilton, but mm-hmm. he certainly had that one month funk where he wh- whether you want to say it was the Lord sending him a message or he lost his his uh, rhythm because he was quitting tobacco or he's just an inconsistent person, so he's going to be an inconsistent Or he maybe player. had a lot of day games. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. I mean, he doesn't hit in day games. Isn't that weird? Uh, he's, to me, Josh Hamilton is would have been the other guy to factor in there, and Robbie Cano. Hmm. You know, I think Cano, he's just a hard player. To, to. It's hard to get an accurate read on Yankees players. There's so much hype on Yankees players, so much attention. But Robinson Cano, to me, is a pretty spectacular player. A pure hitter. He's He's not Cabrera, but he's in the He's in the next group. If, I, if you're saying, like, who – if I'm telling my 7-year-old who would I want him to copy as a hitter, I would tell him Robinson Cano. Watch <laughs> Robbie Cano hit. He's so quiet at the plate, so smooth. He's an effective hitter. And I think one of our bigger misses in terms of B.A. prospect rankings, today I just tweeted about Eric Duncan taking a job as the volunteer assistant coach at Seton Hall. <laughs> and uh, Eric Duncan was the number one prospect the year that Cano was the number two. Um, the scouts I talked to, even people in the Yankees organization, weren't convinced that Robbie Cano would be a premium defender at second base. The Yankees were convinced he could play second. I don't even think they thought he'd be as good as he is defensively at second base. But, I mean, his arm strength makes him – allows him to make plays that other second basemen can't make. And he's much – I also think, Matt, you can comment on this, I, I think Cano's brilliance defensively at second base makes Jeter – uh, more viable to play at shortstop, even at this advanced age, because Jeter's horrible going to his left, but Robbie Cano goes to his right so well. I feel like he mitigates some of Jeter's weaknesses defensively because he is so good at second base. But maybe I'm reading too much into that, but I think Robbie Cano is a phenomenal player, and I, I feel it's just hard to get a read on Yankees. Yankee players even always going to be either overrated or underrated. I feel like he's a little underrated. Did, did, did Duncan ever make even a September call-up appearance? No. I don't think he ever made the big leagues at all, did he? No, he didn't. He, I think he was in double-A this year in the Angel system at Northwest Arkansas. The previous year he was Royals, at yeah. Springfield. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, Royals. Thank yeah. you. So just not uh, – he got a triple-A in the Yankees organization. He was in Trenton for a while. He's a Jersey guy. Uh, he had a big Class A year, low A and high high A Tampa. And Cano, I believe that year, had been in double-A and triple-A. And I, I think the consensus that I found in the, in, in the organization – especially was that people thought that Duncan was a little bit better hitter and had a little more power than Cano, and that was a pretty gross misread. I'm glad that I had Cano second, but he should have been first. And what was a pretty thin Yankee system that year? I believe Melky Cabrera was number seven Ooh. in that first list. So those are the guys that stick out in my memory. So Baseball America podcast with John and Matt. Matt, you also pointed out in the National League, you do have this parallel in the MVP where you have an up-the-middle player having a phenomenal offensive season, especially relative to his position, whereas Trout was relative to age, but relative to position, you have Buster Posey having this phenomenal season, and his main MVP uh, competition appears to be Ryan Braun, who is, you know, again, falls into the slugger category, although he's clearly a little more athletic than, uh, a little different physical profile than uh, than uh, Miguel Cabrera. Uh, how, do you st- how do you stack up the National League race? 
I would probably side again with the up-the-middle player. Um, I don't know if you want to make a case for Braun or not. but um, Well, I, I do think Br- Ryan Braun's case, to me, is obviously complicated by what happened with him last year. But, I mean, he's had a better year this year than he had last year, and that's without Fielder in the lineup. I mean, Aramis Ramirez has had a nice year. I know there are a lot of people who don't believe in lineup protection. It's hard to prove, certainly. But on his own merits, Ryan Braun has been you know, really as good a hitter as anybody in the National League, not named Andrew McCutcheon or Buster Posey. I just think that I think the case for Braun is strong. I happen to think the case for, for Posey is stronger. Yeah, same kind of deal if, if we uh, geek out and look at uh, the wins above replacement batting runs. Let's, let's geek out. Posey, Posey has a chance to have a pretty historic season for a catcher. You know, In the expansion era, that's post-61, um, his total of batting runs could eclipse everybody but Mike Piazza from uh, 1997. It may and, be part and that of that, year, yeah. that year, Mike Piazza hit. Uh, 362 with 40 home runs in Dodger Stadium, playing catcher. <laughs> <laughs> it was hard to believe at the time, but I don't think we realized just maybe uh, maybe I, I had my head in the, in the ground, in the, you know, my head in the sand. I didn't realize at the time. I don't think just how historic Piazza's seasons were. But he's got you. You sorted those by like, what the best batting run seasons mm-hmm, totals, by catchers, yeah. mm-hmm. and Piazza he just dominates that list. Yeah, completely. he has seven of the 16 top finishes. This is. This is post Yogi Berra. Um, this is '61 forward. Okay, uh, in the expansion era, like you said. Well, how many? How many are Ivan Rodriguez seasons? I would have imagined that he and Piazza. He, I would imagine he wouldn't be on as frequently as Piazza, but if anyone else was on there multiple times, it, it would be him and, and Joe Mauer. Again, we 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 were in our lifetime. We're, we we've been pretty fortunate to see Mauer, who's a three-time batting champion and sneaking up on a possible fourth batting championship. And obviously, Brian McCann, pretty premium offensive catcher having an off year this year. Posey now. Uh, Yvonne Rodriguez. We've seen a lot of the best hitting catchers of all time just in the last decade. So how many of those years were Pudge? Uh, I'm counting zero uh, among the top 38. <laughs> wow. I guess they, they really hammer him for playing in Arlington all those years during but, his prime. But Chris Hoyles is on <laughs> That is correct. Hoyles, <laughs> Hoyles <laughs> occupies the 11 spot. <laughs> that is a, that's a little bit of a stunner. Which, uh, yeah. yeah th- 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 I believe that's called a – I think the technical term for that is outlier. <laughs> I love the fact that Buster Posey's hitting over 400 against left-handed pitchers, and I love that he's got three straight OPS, uh, three straight months of OPS over a thousand. <laughs> to me, it burnishes his case again that Melky Cabrera is going to win the National League batting title after his, despite his suspension, and yet you've got Buster Posey. The, the Giants still rolling right along. Their pitching has not been great. The Dodgers made this giant move. I know the Giants, Dodgers haven't played well. But there was a lot of pressure on, I think, Pablo Sandoval hit his first home run in more than 150 at-bats the other day. Hmm. So this is not exactly a Giants lineup. Where you would think they were going to be built around Posey, Sandoval, and Cabrera. Well, Cabrera's gone. Sandoval was hurt and ineffective. And Posey just still just has the team on his back, basically. And That's amazing. Carrying them over the finish line. We're really at a time where Matt Cain is the only starting pitcher right now for the Giants, who's been consistent start to start. I think there's a stat that Andy Baggerly, our correspondent, tweeted that uh, the Giants have that Kane is the only Giant starter to go seven innings or more uh, in the last like month. Basically, hmm. you, know, uh, you know, Lincecum has been better in the second half, but certainly still not the freak of, of years past. Vogelsong has been up and down, and Bumgarner has slumped of late. So uh, their starting pitching hasn't been as good as it has been in the past. Their lineup is not as deep as it's been in the past, and none of it's phased Posey. He's just been better and better. They never should have let Travis Blackley go on waivers. It really uh, um, – they, they lost on the other side of the bay. They did. That's it, amazing. Posey, uh, what, what fascinates me about this is if you rewind a year, you know, it wasn't 100% certain that he was going to be a catcher right. based on his ankle, the severity of his ankle injury. That's also a great point. I'm, I don't have it in front of me. I mean, I know he's played a lot of games at first base. I do have it in front of me. Thanks to the new Baseball American <laughs> player cards. If you haven't noticed all year – our player cards, our statistics, we didn't take it up a notch this year. We took it about 10 notches this year. Our, our statistics were way better than they've been in the past. But 104 games at catcher, 22 at first base. He has three games where he's played both positions, DH'd a couple games. So I, I think that Bruce Bochy has kept him fresh, uh, and that helps. Also, his lack of trust in Brandon Belt, I'm sure, is a, <laughs> is a factor there. Um, but the fact that Posey's going to end up catching about 110 games Again, is a big factor, a big plus for him because uh, you know catcher is, playing catcher is hard, and playing catcher and hitting is hard. So to me, as good as Bronze year has been, I just have to think Posey's the the leader in the clubhouse in the National League. I don't think so. And then Posey versus Trout, 
That's a tough call for Major League Player of the Year for us. I don't think that's an open and shut case in any way, shape, or form. Do you? No. Uh, I figure there will be some uh, pounding on the table in the in the coming weeks. That meeting could be spirited. That meeting could be very <laughs> spirited. And the amazing thing about Trout, Matt, is that he's made American League Rookie of the Year like a a, a sham of a vote. I mean, I don't think everyone knows how that's going to end up. But American League rookies have been – it's been a great year for American League rookies. There are a lot of years where – uh, Yoannis Cespedes in Oakland would be your rookie of the year. There are a lot of years where when you have a, a rookie pitcher, I, I know both these are international rookies, but you Darvish averaging more than 10 strikeouts per nine innings would be your American League rookie of the year. Who are some of the other rookies? Well, Wei Yin Chen might have won it right. in, a, in a down year. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Or, uh, I don't think he would win it in most years, but Chris Carter putting up a, a notable half season basically. In Oakland with 14, 15 home runs and slugging 560. So we'll have to see if teams, you know, follow suit with this and really make an effort to sign international uh, professionals who have, you know, in their mid-20s who have some experience, given the success of Cespedes, Chin, and Darvish. I think Cespedes' success, definitely, if there's another, I mean, obviously the the Cuban market is going to be, it's, it's kind of already been surging in recent years. It already was with the Hechevarias and we, I think we wrote about this, where when Leslie Anderson got $1.2 million, everybody in Cuba sat up and said, wait a minute, <laughs> we know that guy's not all that great. you know." I did, and I just learned this month, maybe it was last month, that le- if you were starting a Jamaican national team in the World Baseball Classic qualifiers, which are all going on now, Leslie Anderson could play for Jamaica. Because oh, his, uh, his mom actually, that's why his name is Leslie Anderson. One parent is Cuban and one parent is Jamaican, but they chose to raise him in Cuba, which I think, again, says something about Jamaica. So... Um, <laughs> But but you you had players like him, Hachavaria, uh, Jose Iglesias. Um, actually, in my office, right? They, um, exactly. I, in my office, I actually have a whole roster. If you had to make a Cuban World Baseball Classic team and you couldn't use any players actually in Cuba now, it would be a representative roster. I think it was mm-hmm. Grandal behind the plate, Alonso, Kenny Morales at DH, Iglesias, Hachavaria. This uh, is like the list of uh, Negro League stars they found in Joe in uh, John McGraw's that's desk right, after, that's right. after his death. <laughs> I, I actually have uh, I have my Greek list at my desk. I have a seven or eight year old Colombian list at my desk because there weren't that many players in co- from Colombia that I could find. And uh, yes, now I have my Cuban expatriate list. Not much, <laughs> not many pitchers on that Cuban expatriate list. Uh, it's the Baseball America podcast with John and, and Matt. Uh, probably should talk about pitchers now. We can All segue right, pitchers. into pitchers. We don't have any Cubans uh, on this list, but I think that the MVP votes, Matt, are seem like they're two-man races. No such thing uh, seems to be the case in the American League or the National League Cy Young Award race. I've done more prep on the National League race. I prefer to talk about the National League race. To me, correct me if I'm wrong. Shoot. You tell me if there are any candidates outside of these five. I think there are five finalists. Okay. If, if we were the Oscar nominating committee, <laughs> we would name these. We put the little pictures of these five people up around me in my in my ball gown. R. A. Dickey, <laughs> New York Mets. Gio <laughs> Gonzalez, Washington Nationals. Aroldis Chapman and Johnny Cueto, Cincinnati Reds. Boy, one team with two nominees. <laughs> and uh, Craig Kimbrell, the Atlanta Braves. Is there anybody else I'm missing? You think we even have a little uh, good shot? fringe candidates? Maybe Kershaw before he got hurt, but I think right. he's out now. Matt Cain, I don't know. No, I think those are the five. I think those are the five. I'm gonna give you. I'll give you my choice. I think that Aroldis Chapman got all the attention early, but I, he hasn't even been the best closer in the National League. I would take Craig Kimbrell. I think Craig Kimbrell has a legitimate shot, even if it is only however many innings it is. It's not that many innings. He has a hundred. Did I write this down right? 105 strikeouts and 14 walks. <laughs> That's insane. My favorite stat that I heard on TV is that he's had no innings this year, which he's given up more than one hit, no appearance. That's just that's that's crazy. <laughs> and I had 16.5 strikeouts per nine. The point is, the point being, that's more than Aroldis Chapman. Mm-hmm. I mean, Aroldis Chapman has all these crazy strikeout stats, and this guy has more strikeouts per nine. So, to me, the Braves bullpen uh, is still a bedrock of their team success. I think Freddie Gonzalez deserves some kudos for using them more judiciously this year. He's learned from his mistakes. He earned the uh, you know, criticism he got last year. I think he's earned credit this year. And Kimbrell's been phenomenal from day one. And you know, I think he makes the Braves very dangerous. So to me, I had a hard time differentiating the starters. I think that Kimbrell's impact as a closer is just so significant. I, I would give him the edge. Yeah, it's a year where you don't have that dominating starting performance, and, and none of these guys really passes the, the eye test. You know, if you're looking yeah. for like a classic uh, starting pitcher, uh, you're right. If I had a vote, I would give it to Dickey. 
Um, it's certainly his, uh, a vote for Ari Dickey is certainly not. You're, you're not the Kodos could never say you're throwing your vote away. <laughs> I think uh, to me it boils down to, to volume. You know, he's, he's giving you the most innings, the most strikeouts in the National League. Uh, he's fourth in strikeout to walk. He's uh, second in WHIP, which is just phenomenal That's for, mind, for a knuckleball pitcher. That's mind blowing for a knuckleball. And pitcher. he's he's given uh, the Mets. Uh, consistently the best starts of any pitcher in the league. His average game score, uh, average game score is 62, which ties him with Kershaw for the best in the league. That's um, that, that's really amazing. So, I mean, the, the the little st- stats about him, like the well, whip is not a little stat, but like how how few base runners are stolen bases off of him. The fact that he leads the league in shutouts and complete games, all those things are and, th- and those it, things add up. I think he has the best case of any of the starters. And his catcher is typically Josh Tolle. Let's not for, <laughs> let's not forget. <laughs> that's not an that's not an insignificant factor. I guess what what stopped me from naming him uh, from having him as my pick was just looking at ERA plus, and I know that's a crude way to look at it in some ways. But that he ranked behind Kyle Loesch, I had a hard time thinking your Cy Young should be better than Kyle Loesch. <laughs> I know Kyle Loesch had a great year, but I guess it would have really pointed out to me that the National League great the starters. I just like I said, I had a really hard time differentiating. I wouldn't have a problem giving it to R.A. Dickey, certainly. I think his year is a little bit better than Johnny Cueto's. I think it's a little bit better than Gio Gonzalez's. Well, Gio Gonzalez, what surprises me is just how hard he is to hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the number of hits that he's given up is minuscule. It's like six and change per nine innings. And the walk rate's way down, too. And, and I think he leads the National League in home run rate. It's .4 uh, home runs per nine innings. If you're going to walk a lot of guys, uh, one way to get around that is to strike out a lot of guys and not give up home runs. And he's, he's done that. He might be a bigger factor than Strasburg or Harper in the national success, you know? And he is it's going t- forward. It's hard to quantify. He certainly is going forward because he has to be the number one guy. He has to be the bell cow for that rotation in the postseason because Jordan Zimmerman's been a little inconsistent in the last month and a half, and Steven Strasburg will be a healthy scratch. I mean, Matt, yeah. we, haven't, we, we haven't talked about it. I'll let you do it, but J.J. and I have – talked a lot about the Strasburg situation. Do you have a, a quick take on Steven Strasburg being a healthy scratch in the postseason? <laughs> oh, probably nothing that hasn't been said before. Just the, the ways they could have managed it in which he could pitch, at the very least, in relief I think it's in a October. Nice, it's a nice contrast that this week, he hasn't pitched yet, but the, the Orioles calling up Dylan Bundy. Mm-hmm. They haven't used him yet, but they've used Bundy very carefully. Obviously, it's minor league innings versus major league innings because the guy one year out of high school Mm-hmm. And they have him in the major leagues, and I think from an innings standpoint, he's got. I mean, they wanted to use him for about 115, 120 innings this year, and he's at like 109. And I believe, know? by virtue of him signing a major league deal out of the draft, he can actually be on the postseason roster because he was in the organization on October 31st. Correct. So, I, and that's correct. So, I mean, your typical high schooler, you'd say you call him up now. Well, he's not. He's not eligible, but Bundy signed a big league deal. Yeah, I mean, one of uh, the, the short list of major league deals for pitchers uh, out of high school, and he might be the only non-Tiger. <laughs> well, Josh Beckett. Josh Beckett. Josh Beckett. Maybe the non-only guy not signed by Dave Dombrowski or <laughs> the A's in 1990 with Todd Van Poppel, and he's the excuse me, he's the ho- fastest high school pitcher to the major leagues since Todd Van Poppel back in 1990, and that didn't work out for Van Poppel. But to me, I, I think the, the key, the reason I bring him up with regard to Strasburg is. The Orioles used him carefully as well, and they still feel confident they can use him here in Oct- in September and maybe October. I know he hasn't had Tommy John surgery, but he's also yeah. a teenager. They're, they're different. They are kind of apples and oranges, but I think that one organization had a longer view. One organization took a longer view, and the other one didn't, and, they, and, and, and they're going to have different rewards for that. I, 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 don't, I don't know that the Nationals have definitely done anything to secure Steven Strasburg's healthy future, but... He certainly can't get hurt if you don't pitch. So, again, it goes back to Geo. I think he's, it, it's crucial for Geo. Um, American League Cy Young, Matt, that was a pretty easy call last year. Justin Verlander was about as uh, landslide as it gets. Who who are the candidates in the American League for you? Who are the reasonable candidates there? Oh uh, yeah, Some of the names we kicked around, we, Verlander, Detroit Tigers, Chris Sale, Chicago White Sox. Good guys. David Price, Tampa Bay Rays. I think you have some fringe guys. Um, I kind of looked at Matt Harrison, um, he was on pace at one time yeah. to be in this discussion. He's you you brought up Jared Weaver, him. kind of the same thing. Yep, Jared Weaver. Had a season fringing. interrupted. Felix Hernandez is finishing strong. Yeah, Jared Weaver having, you know, how many, wow, he has, what, 50? He's thrown 50 fewer innings and, than Justin Verlander. And uh, Hiroki Kuroda has been the only s- stable pitcher in the Yankees rotation. Um, whether you give that any weight, 
You know, he's been pretty stunning to go from the National League. You just expect everyone to go from the National League to the American League to regress a little bit. Right. And he just feels like he's been the same old Hiroki Kuroda. Same old. Kudos to him, and obviously just gets noticed a little bit more. I mean, the Dodgers are a flagship franchise, but it tells you a little bit how the Yankees are the Yankees. (laughs) And there's everybody else in terms of attention. I I went David Price here, Matt. Uh, I I don't think it's settled by any stretch of the imagination. But I I just thought that David Price's year – and there's just not a weak spot, really, with David Price. I don't think there's a huge weak spot with Justin Verlander either. But to me, uh, pitching in Tampa, they don't exactly have a great defense. I understand. It might be, might be different if David Price had Miguel Cabrera playing third base for him. <laughs> but who, who, what right-handed hitters are pulling uh, Justin Verlander anyway when he's throwing yeah. 99 and 100 in the last three innings of a game? So That's, That's a fair point. And to, to, to me, I think their seasons are very comparable. I would give a slight edge to Price. Uh, the, to me, he, the rate stats are better for him. The biggest advantage, uh, or they're at least equal, the biggest advantage is that Verlander's got those more innings pitched. Uh, but to me, that's mitigated to an extent by the fact that Price is doing it in the American League East. Uh, a little bit better, a little bit tougher competition, a little bit better offenses especially. So I'm giving David Price, maybe I'm taking that, giving that a little bit too much credit, but I'd give a slight edge to Price. But their seasons are so close. Yep, uh, Price is my sentimental favorite. I'd like to see him win it just There's from a, a fan standpoint. There's a little bit of that there, too. But I think, uh, being objective, I, I'm, I'm a sucker for volume. Like, you know, Verlander leads in strikeouts. Or he do, will, once, he, once he passes Scherzer. You do bank at Manhattan Change Bank. <laughs> <laughs> How do we make money? Simple. Volume. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. One of my all-time uh, favorite Saturday Night Live skits. Should give me several options. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I like that one as well. Um, JJ and I like that one, and the Steroid Olympics are probably our two favorite ones that get referenced on the podcast. But you have uh, Verlander, just the, the epitome of a horse. You know, he pitch, even pitching late into October last year, he leads the AL in innings. He's right at the top in ERA and WHIP. You know, he's gonna, he's probably gonna lead the league in strikeouts. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's the same argument I make for Dickey. You know, he's he's durable, efficient, and dominant. I don't think that you can poke any holes in either of those uh, in either of those uh, candidacies. The amazing thing to me with Verlander just is his consistency. When he has a start that where he doesn't go. Uh, seven innings, you're just you're stunned. Mm-hmm. You know, he just and in this day and age, uh, to me, he he's just so rare because he's such an athletic pitcher, and his delivery, I don't know if you'd say it's violence or controlled violence, but there's just so much energy in his delivery, and the fact that he maintains that delivery with these high pitch counts and high innings totals year after year, and maintains such a level of excellence and such premium stuff, uh, he's probably the most unique pitcher in the major leagues. Uh, if you had to pick one pitcher of the major leagues, it's kind of the guy you have to start with, isn't he? I mean, because of all those factors. To start a game seven for you? I just mean period. If you're starting a franchise, yeah. to me, uh, I think so. he's the guy you go with. With all due respect to Felix Hernandez. Or Price or Strasburg. Those guys are those guys are great. I, I don't think Strasburg has earned his way into that discussion because of the durability factor. Mm-hmm. He's already stopped at 158. Or he might have put Kershaw in that group until his durability right. called into question. Absolutely. I think Kershaw would have been in that group. Um, stunning to see the Dodgers with both, uh, you know, after all the excitement of their trade with both Billingsley and Kershaw going down, um, especially because Billingsley, the one thing that he's done well over the years has been durability. Yeah. And just when he seemed to be unlocking, uh, going from pretty good to very good slash great, he gets hurt. That was a that was a tough one. It will be interesting to see if if Sale receives any first place votes because he pitches in the most difficult home home ballpark right. environment. Mu- it's a much more hitter friendly park than either Comerica or uh, whatever the uh, Tropicana. <laughs> yeah, whatever. And, the, that, and whatever then you factor is. in the fact that he threw what you know, 55, 60 innings last year to have his workload amped up that much and to be so consistently strong throughout the season. It's amazing the 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 good guys that they've gotten mm-hmm. the kind of pitching performance that they've gotten and. It, that, that's a that's a fascinating organization this year. And Jim Jim Callis actually wrote a great column about it last issue about the successes in that organization. But uh, it's just, it just crazy how how many rookies they've used, how many guys who weren't touted. Quintana, Jose Quintana last year. I mean, when he signed, I, I remember we had good scouting reports on him as an A-ball reliever. You know, we thought he was an intriguing free agent, minor league free agent. But they didn't just sign him as a minor league free agent. They put him right on the 40 man, didn't the White Sox? Yeah, they did. The Yankees just let him go as a, you know, on the minor on the minor league side. They could have resigned him or given him a 40 man spot. They apparently weren't willing to do, but it appears that one other team was because he got one from the White Sox. And he wasn't even a starter in the Yankees organization. That's another guy who's uh, going. He's kind of uh, boldly going where his innings total has not gone before, <laughs> um, which is just again kind of stunning. 
and all this talk in the major leagues about innings and, and tr- treating pitchers carefully and all the spotlight that's been on that because of Strasburg, here are the White Sox extending Sale, but it feels like extending him smartly, and you don't feel like you're going to see Chris Sale in a postseason series start games one and four. You know, uh, They're going to use him, I would say, judiciously, but he's still there. He's available for them. Um, and, again, that he ha- hasn't had Tommy John, but certainly uh, the workload jump for him this year is pretty significant. Quintana last year did start some for the, for the Yankees, 12 starts in Tampa, but he threw 102 innings last year. This year he has 48 and two-thirds in AAA and 126 and two-thirds in the big league. So he's made a quantum leap forward. And Jake Peavy certainly has pitched a lot in the past, but this is his healthiest season in years. And the White Sox are riding him pretty hard. So even so, without John Danks, with Gavin Floyd being pretty uh, Gavin Floydy this year, very <laughs> up and down, uh, the White Sox still, uh, you know, on top of a division that granted has three bad teams, but and a disappointing team in Detroit. But I don't think any of us thought the White Sox were going to win that division. Um, not even I don't even think Honk and Wimperu were under <laughs> the impression that the White Sox could win that division. But um, I, I I can't argue. Getting back to the Cy Young, I could not argue with you against the. Uh, against Justin Verlander. I, th- I think we know our American League Rookie of the Year. Lastly, Matt, National League Rookie of the Year, there's the most uh, notorious member of the National League Rookie class, Bryce Harper. Mm-hmm. More notoriety than any than any rookie not named Trout, and probably still more notoriety than Trout. Um, Todd Frazier, Wade Miley, kind of the stealth candidate, but I mean, having a tremendous year in Arizona. Um is there is there anyone else who threatens that trio, or is, I feel like it's going to be one of those three guys? Your NL Rookie of the Year. Yeah, uh, where where does your vote lie with those guys? You know, for me, uh, maybe I'm just uh, uh, blinded by the shiny lights. I've always thought it was going to be Todd Frazier. Then when Scott Rowland came back and Votto came back, he doesn't play as often. Um, I think maybe I'm making it most valuable rookie, but I feel like uh, I feel like Bryce Harper's earned that award. I mean, I feel like he's going to hit a 20th home run. Mm-hmm. It's a historically significant season by a teenager. Yep. I feel like Wade Miley has had a great year. I could see Wade Miley winning it. Winning it. Um, if I had a ballot, I would go Harper, Miley, Frazier. I could see any any permutation of those three. But to me, the fact that Harper's playing a premium position again in center field and hitting for the top of the lineup, he hasn't been babied in any way, hasn't been hidden. Uh, he started off hitting seventh and immediately went into the two or three hole early in the year for the for the uh, Nationals. He plays in the best team in Major League Baseball, and he plays a crucial role on that team. I would give my Rookie of the Year award to Bryce Harper. Where do you stand, Jim? Uh, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to take a closer look. I, uh... Yeah, to me, Wade Miley is the other guy. I, I thought Todd Frazier could have been in that in that uh, mix, but he doesn't seem like he's played enough, uh, again, as late as uh, whereas Harper is really relied on. I, I think it undercuts your case a little bit, even if your manager's Dusty Baker, we all know that he's somewhat allergic to young players. Uh, he is starting a rookie shortstop every day, and he has not veered away from that. He played and Drew Stubbs every day when he was a rookie. Exactly, and he's played Todd Frazier a lot. But I, under- I would bench Todd Frazier for Joey Votto. Mm-hmm. And I understand at this point when you've got things locked up, seeing if, you're, if there's anything left in Scott Rowland. You know, but I do think it undercuts a little bit of, of Frazier's case. Uh, but, you know, it, it's hard to imagine, uh, you know, the, Todd Frazier – but the way he you know, had stalled, really, in AAA, it seemed like that, that, that's one of the story ideas we talked about and we're not going to do. But, Matt, you, you love AAA baseball. We'll wrap up our segment by talking about AAA baseball again. Uh, we've had a lot of rookies in the National League, especially oh, but in the Major Leagues, period. who spent an awful long time in AAA and finally got their chance in the Major Leagues and broke through. Justin Ruggiano comes to mind. Todd Frazier. Uh, is this, uh, Lucas Harrell has had a nice year for Houston. Does this fluky, uh, or do you think this actually that there are there more guys like Lucas Harrell and Justin Ruggiano in AAA, guys who spend two, three, four, five years at that level and just need a chance in the right environment to to break out? Yeah, I think it's more of the latter. Uh, that's what happened with Ruggiano. He needed to to get out of a situation where, um, you know, for one reason or another, the team wasn't going to call him up or give him any sort of extended look. That's what we saw with Harrell. He was a prospect with the White Sox for you know the past five, six years. Right. Then he ran out of uh, options, and they said, eh, all right, we've got to outright him back to the minors, and the Astros claimed him. Definitely a guy who it seemed like his timing with that organization where Ozzie Guillen 
will not look at you if you don't throw 93 miles an hour as a starting pitcher. You know, he just had no shot. I mean, like, wasn't that one of the reasons why they traded Daniel Hudson? I mean, they were willing to include, I like to trade pitchers, but I mean, like, they didn't think he threw hard enough. I mean, hmm. Ozzy loves power arms. I'm sure Don Cooper likes him as well. Um, but to me, Lucas Harrell was cheap talent. I mean, he, he could have been doing in Chicago what Dylan Axelrod has been given a chance to do, which is have some modest success. So, right, yeah. Um, Ruggiano, to me, like you said, we got to see him here in Durham. He always seemed like at least a fourth outfielder type, a guy who it seemed like was cursed being in AAA because he was a right-handed hitter. Mm-hmm. I really felt like that platoon aspect hindered him. And not, you know, not an outstanding center fielder, although he's, he's played a good center field for Miami. Right. Uh, certainly that was not his reputation. Yeah, he's more of a corner guy, but who do you? We saw him play a lot of center field in Durham. Mm-hmm. He was just never the everyday center fielder, but um, he's had a tremendous year. I'm trying to think who else was on my list. I had a pretty decent list of uh, of those jokers, didn't I? Uh, Other AAA guys. Did it guys? include Joe Mather? I'm just kidding. I don't think it included <laughs> Joe Mather. Your Cubs center fielder, off and on. That's hard <laughs> to believe. That's really hard to believe. I guess Brian LaHare could have been included in that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, lost the job Anthony Rizzo, but yeah. when he had a shot early in the year, he wasn't horrible. I mean, he was a passable. Yeah, he started player. hot. Yeah. Replacement level, I guess, is a, again the kind of the word for him. Uh, Garrett Jones is a good example from the past. Right. Somebody who's playing well for Pittsburgh. Josh Reddick was another guy, actually, yeah, who would come to mind right. here. He's a guy who was in the in AAA, and, you know, last September when the Red Sox were collapsing, Josh Reddick was parked right there on their bench, and now he's again on the cusp of 30 home runs. The A's have a couple guys because Chris Carter took him basically three trips through AAA to get to the big leagues and not tur- do a Shaq Thompson impersonation and strike out virtually every time. And this year the guy's got you – know, he's still striking out a lot, 33 35% of the time. But he's making contact enough for the power to come through. Josh Donaldson, their third baseman, <laughs> certainly fits into that description. He's like he's been in AAA for five years. There's your corner infield on a playoff team right there. Yeah, that's unusual. Uh, that doesn't seem like that's the norm. Uh, <laughs> so it does feel like this year there may be a few more examples of AAA players who finally got a shot. Do you have a uh, – Do you? Ha- I, I'm, I know you're not prepared for this question, but is there a guy who's been parked in AAA who's maybe the next Justin Ruggiano or – Next, Lucas Harrell, who you, that you have in mind, someone who you you think is a very good player or a guy who could be a useful big leaguer who hasn't really got a shot, kind of been parked at AAA for a while. Uh, I would follow the Astros' off-season movement for that the identity of that player. That's a great point. Because uh, as they've shown with all their acquisitions this year, Justin Maxwell, Fernando Martinez, right. Harrell, they're on the lookout for these kinds of players. Yeah, they're right now they're in uh, placeholder mode. They're waiting for these guys. They're find, trying to find cheap players who can hold places until Jonathan Singleton. Tyler Green. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And George Springer and Delano DeShield and the rest of their younger prospects uh, get to the major (laughs) leagues. Uh, Next time I'll remember that we're going to talk about AAA players. But, man, I didn't think we were going to go almost 50 minutes. But but we've done so. So I think JJ's going to come in here at the end and talk about our little, uh, a little bit about our process of doing league top 20s. But uh, certainly I know we could talk with you about that as well. But JJ, uh, um, especially doing the Florida State League, and we've bounced JJ around a little bit. Now he's back in the Florida State League where he belongs. Um, but you, you have a fascinating pair of lists to do, uh, Appy League and Eastern League. How different? How differently do you approach those two leagues? Uh, quite a bit differently. Uh, Feels like the Theo Epstein principle kind of of the closer you get to the big leagues, the more the numbers matter. It's yeah, kind of it's, applies, it's doesn't like, it? It's like the opposite end of the projection versus performance scale. You know, you don't really – put too much weight in um, in poor performance in, in, in the Appy League. Right. You know, you're looking more for the guys who are going to extended opportunities and get in again just because they're shortstops or, or catchers or left-handed pitchers. And this year was just a fascinating year in the Appy League because you actually had prospects. You had the draft deadline. So you basically had two draft classes worth of players smushed into one league because this year you had the earlier deadline and last year a lot of players – played in the Appy League in 2012 who were drafted in 2011 but didn't sign until the middle of August. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially with the Blue Jays and Rays having so many supplemental picks, you know, holding them back in extended spring this year and sending them to the Appy. Um, I don't know how many names I want to give away because they're right. going to be on the list. But let's just say there were, there were multiple examples of players in those two organizations. And plus you have some other teams like the Braves who are committed to Latin America. Right. Um, Twins who are the Mariners. become recommitted to international yeah, have, signing. It, it's a good the, – the organizations which have teams in that league, it, it's a good fit. Yeah, because you used to do the two advanced rookie levels, for lack of a better way to call them, Appy and Pioneer. Yeah. 
and the Pioneer League was a little bit more of a of a mix of teams. It's more like the Northwest League, really. It's a lot of those teams treat it as a place to put college players, right? Second year short season players. Whereas that only happens with basically the Twins, and who else uses the uh, the, uh, twin, the Twins and Braves because they Excellent. don't have they don't have a short season affiliate above the Appy League, so they often will send their college players there. That wasn't really a problem this year, though. Yeah, it seemed like it was very odd back in the day when the Braves had a GCL team, they had an Appy League team, and then for a short span they had like a team in Oregon. They had the Penn League, they had Jamestown for a while. They had Jamestown too, that's right, but they, yeah, they used to have a, a rookie, advanced rookie, and short season, now they just have rookie and advanced rookie. Yep. Um, we, we were fortunate uh, to, to see that, uh, the, just the kind of the contrast with the, the, the Royals and the Twins teams, with the Twins you know, winning that league championship in part because they had two college sluggers and DJ Hicks and Adam Brett Walker in the middle, middle of their lineup. And you know, Kansas City really didn't have that uh, in the Burlington lineup. It was younger guys, mm-hmm. you know, high school guys like Patrick Leonard and Bubba Starling mm-hmm. in the middle of their lineup and uh, led to the E-Town, the, the E-Twins winning a championship. Yeah, did, you, did you read how that ended? I did read how that ended. In Burlington fact, had a 6-1 to one lead? With two outs and nobody on. Really? In the ninth inning, yeah. Their win and probability was through the roof. Their win probability was probably 100. And uh, the Elizabethan twins rallied back. Uh, Bob Sutton, the longtime sports editor over the Burlington Times News, was at that game. He went to, like, every hmm. Burlington Royals. He went to the last regular season game or two, and then every Burlington Royals playoff game, and told me that he had his story all written for Burlington winning a championship, and then Elizabethan rallied back. So Six runs in the bottom of the ninth. I think it was it was a was it six in the ninth or was it five? Then they won in extras. I forget what it you was. You might be right, but it was a five to one deficit in the ninth. Yeah, Correct. yeah, it was a five five run deficit in the ninth inning, and then he rallied from, which is uh, I would love to see that on national television in say the major league. That would be something we would never ever stop talking about. So we'll talk about a lot more of that process with JJ, and then we'll also talk about I'm sure next week as we start rolling out with our league top twenties. Great stuff on the awards that he met and. Uh, Trevor Bauer as Dice K. I would never have come up with that, and I'm sorry that you put that thought in my head because it will forever haunt my dreams. So, for Matt Eddy, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.